In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul tells us that there are faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Know above all else, we love God, we love this church, and we love you, desiring to share both the gospel of God and our own selves with you. As we move into the new thing God is doing here at Mountaintop, we, your elder team, desire for Christ to lead this body to the fulfillment of its purpose for his glory. We are committed to displaying the love of Christ in the community as a whole so that we can reach those who do not yet know him and build up those that do. We love that 4B Him encapsulates that mission. Jesus' call to go and make all disciples of all nations is for the whole church, encompassing those that have walked in the faith for their whole life, those newer to the faith and growing, and those seeking to understand and start their faith journey. Our prayer for Mountaintop is that our hearts would be indistinguishable from the Father's, leading us to bring others into fellowship with him, to bring ourselves to the foot of his throne, and to bring the image of him to our community through our service and love for others. In order to bring others into fellowship with him, we must first realize we are chosen as ambassadors of a king that loves all people and desires to adopt them as his own. What we offer this world as a solution is not a set of guiding principles or tips for a better life, nor is it a social club that makes them more comfortable. What we offer as a solution to the problems of this world is a person. That person is Jesus, in whom the Father has planned from the fullness of time to unite all things, and from whom and for whom all things were created. Since we freely receive Jesus, let us make every effort to welcome others into his divine presence. Let us remove any and all barriers that would present, prevent outsiders from experiencing the grace and mercy we have received. Moreover, let us strive to put away any judgment or favoritism and rely solely on the work of the Spirit and the Word to transform and renew all whom we welcome. For those that we welcome or encounter, what should they see in us? The Father's desire is that we are united, devoted, and reverent people in a covenant relationship. This covenant is different from how our world operates, where transactions and contracts are voided when unhappiness arises. Our covenant with each other is a supernatural bond that sets aside our own desires and unites us in devotion to our Lord. Scripture describes us as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are to be set apart from the world, not conformed to it, and united in one spirit, one Lord, one faith, and one body. Paul calls this a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This unity and devotion is so strikingly different from the world that Scripture says outsiders will see it as a sign of them, sign of, to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. We know this is a miracle in our body, in the hearts of our body, and not of human wisdom. Since we received this, we are more than willing to lay ourselves down as living sacrifices to our Redeemer. As a result, we give up ourselves and our own identities and devote ourselves, as it says in Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This devotion can have no other result than the love and service of all we encounter, which brings the image of our king to the world around us. Let's not think just about what we can do for those around us or who we can be, but let's be defined by who Jesus is. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the challenge that Jesus gave to Peter, that Peter would be stretched out as Christ was stretched out. 
This is a call for us too. Let's forget any rights we may believe we have and instead commit to serving our own body and strangers. Kingdom leadership is servant leadership. The model of Christ on earth is not a robe, but a towel to wash the feet of others. Our hearts as elders are of love, humility, and service. We bring nothing to the table in ourselves, but only as vessels for the Lord to serve his people. We pray that God would grant this flock with wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, which 1 Corinthians 3.19 says is foolishness in God's sight. We pray that God would grant this body wisdom from above, which the Apostle James said is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. This will lead us to unparalleled service and unity. Jesus prayed for us and asked the Father to give us this unity so that the world may believe that he was sent from the Father. We also pray God would continue to build a culture in our church body that would encounter, that when we encounter others, they find something radically different from the world around them. This is our prayer and our desire for this church that we love dearly. We consider ourselves blessed to serve the kingdom and our church for an eternal purpose. In him, Elder Team. Thank you. Thank you so much. My favorite line was, uh, the, the model of Christ on earth is not a robe, but a towel to wash the feet of others. That's powerful. Um, so, hey, I'm Carter McInnes. I'm lead pastor here. I am one of our elders, but I, did, I wanted these guys uh, to write this letter without me to really share their heart. And uh, so they, they did that. And uh, just so impressed with their heart. They'll introduce themselves as we, as we kind of go along here. Um, Ron and, and Jeff and Brad, just tell a little bit about kind of what your dreams and hopes are uh, for the church kind of individually. Um, hi, my name's Ron Wall, and uh, I've been coming to Mountaintop since probably about 2000. I'm married to Connie, who you might recognize pre-COVID would sit up at the uh, reception desk. Uh, pandemic time, she's usually at the front door uh, greeting people as you come in. Um, met her here and got married here. And uh, now, thank you, Carter. My, my dream for the church um, lies in Romans 12. And uh, Ben Kirkendall talked about that in his letter about, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and I'm gonna read so I don't flub it. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and read from Romans 12. Um, I would encourage everybody to, after, after the service, pull this out and read the whole chapter because it, there's a lot in here and I'm not gonna read all of it, but it's a blueprint for how we should be as Christians outside the church and in the church. And it says, love must be sincere hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I believe that if we are a church filled with Romans 12 disciples, there's nothing we can't do. I believe we wouldn't even have to say anything. We just walk around. Everybody would see that, and non-believers and de-church people would recognize that, it, and it would draw them in, kind of like uh, cold travelers coming in, gathering around a fire, or maybe even more appropriate, hot travelers coming in, gathering around a fan right now. But it would just draws people in. And so that's my prayers, to have a church full of Romans 12 disciples. That's good. Good morning, church. Good morning. Um, my name is Jeff Friels, and I'm the husband of Amy Friels, who is here on staff in the awesome uh, children's ministry. Um, I have a 20-year-old daughter, Parker, and a son, Tanner, who just turned 18 and fixing to go to Auburn. So roll tide. <laughs> if, Those two things don't go together around here, you know. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, <laughs> If, if y'all got a Bible, if you don't mind opening up or a Bible app, if you can open up to Acts 2.42. So I got 80 seconds. We're good. All right, I'm going to read you um, what I believe and dream for our church. Uh, all the believers were together and had everything. Oh, hold on, back up. They devoted themselves to the apostle, teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. My dream for Mountaintop is that just that, that we would be an awesome community and in, in one and such that we're unified in not just sharing Christ's name, but sharing a relationship of Christ to others. So that's globally and uh, locally as well. Morning. Uh, Brad Hamilton, my wife, Abby, we have two children that are in the aforementioned awesome children's ministry. A six-year-old daughter, June, and a four-year-old son, Eli. Hi, guys. Watching at home online. Um, and it was cool when we started getting together to, to, you know, pour out our hearts to write this letter. Jeff and I were right on the same page um, with Acts 2.42 and just the heart to, that our church would be that covenant community. Um, that, that our church has been that community for me. Uh, it's, it's been my only uh, church family and has been since I was in high school, uh, 20, over 20 years now. Wow. Um, <laughs> and just, just that we would be that community, and that involves fellowship, that involves growth, and that involves accountability, and whether it's good times or bad, um, that our church family would be that first phone call, that first text. We would proactively you know, know what's going on in each other's lives because we're, we're just we're in it together. 
Yeah, and you guys talked a lot about covenant in your letter, and that's what, and that's really what it means to be a church family. And if you're a family, you fight for each other, um, and you don't give up on one another, and you work through hard times. Well, if you're if you're watching at home, it might be hard to see this because you can't see all. Uh, there's eight of us up here uh, now, but if you're here in the room, it's it's really obvious. So let's talk about it. We're all white. And we serve a diverse church, and our heart is for us to represent our church family and the kingdom and our community. And so this is something that we have been talking about for quite some time, and we're working on some things now, but it's been a part of our heart. So Chad and Steve, you guys talk a little bit about that. Thank you, Carter. I'm Chad Hathorn. Heather Hathorn is my wife. We've got an eight-year-old daughter, Yancey Kate, which uh, this is like Brad. This has been her only church that she's ever gone to and uh, loves coming. And for me, uh, I guess I've been here about 13 years or so. Uh, this is the first time that I've been back in the sanctuary since uh, COVID. And so my first thought standing over on the side is, wow, this feels great this this is it it felt like home is what it felt like and so it's it's really a a joy to be back here with you today and to share um you know on on this elder board the uh our desire for diversity has gone on even before carter was a uh we started talking to him about his job so the the conversations have been going on and uh, rick reminded me that heaven is going to be the most diverse place that we're going to experience and so our desire, our heart is, is very complicated. Uh, this elder process is very complicated and long drawn out process. But our desire is to show the, exactly what heaven will look like here on this elder board and within our church. So we strive for that. We're uh, having conversations now. We continue to have conversations, not only with each other, but with others, you know, to try to increase our diversity and, and just show, you know, exactly what our hearts look like and, and, uh, and how we mimic that in Christ's love. Steve? Good morning, Mountaintop. I'm Steve Bottoms. Um, my wife, Linda, and I have been attending Mountaintop since 2005, and together we have six grandkids, uh, ranging ages from 10 to 20. And as Chad was saying, you know, we are committed to that, and being the senior elder, I grew up in Birmingham in the 1950s and the 1960s and was witness to the segregation and the racism that was born, um, I guess, from hate and fear. Um, And Martin Luther King once said that Birmingham was the most segregated city in the country. Not a whole lot to be proud of there. Mm. Um, But having witnessed or remembering when the civil rights marchers were attacked by the Birmingham police and their dogs and the school children who were marching were knocked down with fire hoses. And I think everyone remembers the bombing at the 16th Street Baptist Church that killed, I think it was four young ladies, four little girls. Um, So I was, you know, I remember that. And there were times when I would travel around the country um, that I wasn't so uh, proud to say I was from Birmingham mm. just because of the connotation of all those terrible things that happened. 
But those horrible events were really the torch that lit the fire of change. And in 1964, they signed the Civil Rights Act into law. It started changing things, but we still need to make some change. Um, but today, I am proud to be a member of a church that is reflective of the diversity of, as like Carter said, not just Vestavia, not just Hoover, but our whole community. And I'm proud to be on the elder team that is committed to having church leadership that is reflective of our congregation. And I just want to say thank you for that opportunity to serve. Yeah, thank you so much. So as Chad said, we've been talking about this for uh, for a while, and really, our, God has convicted our hearts lately to say it's time to, you know, stop talking and start acting. So we began conversations with two minority candidates uh, to become a part of our elder team. Our process typically does works on January first, where new elders roll on. But we said there's just nothing nothing that says we have to wait. So we're in conversation right now with uh, two minority candidates who are praying about, who, who are just great leaders, who are praying about uh, coming on the team. And so we hope to present to you uh, in the coming weeks or month uh, them to be a part of our eldership. And uh, they may not feel called. This is a calling. It's, it's, a, it's a tough volunteer job. We meet every other week for two and a half to three hours. This week it was two and a half because Chad was on vacation. So uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to dig him a little bit. Um, but, uh, but it is a calling. So if they don't feel called, we've got other great minority leaders in our church. And if we're going to be a church that is diverse, then we, our leadership has to reflect the diversity of our church. And if we're going to shepherd and disciple African Americans and Hispanics and Asians and all other kinds of minorities, then we need those voices at the table to help us shepherd them well. So uh, we want you to know we're committed to it. Please pray for us, pray for these two candidates uh, as we, we go forward in this uh, to bring them on as, as elders. We've talked a lot about elders. What in the world is an elder? A lot of people wonder where this came from. Not This is something that the apostle Paul um, called the church to have in leadership as the organization of the church. We've read a lot of those Acts 2 that was in the letter. Jeff read it. As the organization became more complex, Paul instituted eldership. And a couple of our guys are going to read. I think Michael's going to read from 1 Timothy. And uh, Rick's going to read from, from Titus. Uh, well, I'm Michael Johnson. Uh, been a mountaintop since 2012. You probably know me better as Kelly Johnson's husband. Uh, she's on the children's team. Um, and we've got a wonderful daughter, Wynn, who's two and a half and is a handful. And I'm sure she's giving Kelly a handful at home uh, right now. So, hey, I'll be home soon to help. Um, love you guys. So uh, anyway, that's, and I'll read, uh, as Carter said, from 1 Timothy 3. And love the message version of this. So that's the version I'm going to be reading. Um, if anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good. But there are preconditions. A leader must be well thought of committed to his wife, cool and collected, accessible and hospitable. He must know what he's talking about, not be overfond of wine, not pushy but gentle, not thin-skinned, not money-hungry. He must handle his own affairs well, attentive to his own children and having their respect. For if someone is unable to handle his own affairs, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a new believer, lest the physician go to his head and the devil trip him up. Outsiders must think well of him 
or else the devil will figure out a way to lure him into his trap. Yeah, thank you. And I'm Rick Harris. My wife is sitting back here, Sharon. Uh, we've been coming here since 2005. She actually brought me here. Thank you, Sharon. Um, we have two adult children. And I'm going to be reading from Titus, uh, another letter Paul wrote. And it's very similar to, to the one he wrote to Timothy. And it goes like this. Appoint leaders in every town according to my instructions. As you select them, ask, is this man well thought of? Is he committed to his wife? Are his children believers? Do they respect him and stay out of trouble? It's important that a church leader responsible for the affairs in God's house be looked up to. Not pushy, not short-tempered, not a drunk, not a bully, not money-hungry. He must welcome people. Be helpful, wise, fair, reverent, have a good grip on himself, and have a good grip on the message, knowing how to use the truth to either spur people on in knowledge or stop them in their tracks if they oppose it. So that's a lot different than sometimes people might think the, the, the elders just see themselves as a group that's a decision-making body, but that's not what Paul seems to be talking about at all. It is really the spiritual leaders. It's a high calling, and the letter that you guys wrote talked about uh, wanting to be shepherds, leaders in mission. You talked about the importance of unity. Talk a little bit more about that, yeah, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Scripture calls us to, to a few things. I mean, you heard us talk a lot about unity. Um, and it's, Scripture is very clear that our unity is uh, the way that people know Jesus is from the Father. Jesus actually praised that in John 17, that we would be one as he and the, as the Father are one, so that the world may know that he was sent from the Father. Um, so that's a big deal. And it's not just unity of like, hey, we get along with each other. It's being willing to die for someone that you may disagree with politically or may look different from, but you're united in Christ. That's the, that's the, you're citizens of, of, of a kingdom that's outside of this world. It's a supernatural bond. And so that's what we're called to. And because of that, because we have received grace and mercy in this unity uh, freely, for it's not of ourselves, uh, we are more than willing to go out and welcome others in. Right? That, that spurs us on into action and service to, to welcome others, be hospitable. Um, and so they, are, they encounter this radically different way of life uh, and calling and community and kingdom than they see anywhere else. Um, and that's what draws people in. It's genuine, it's real, it's from Scripture, and it's of, it's of the Spirit. So, and that's what, that's what we believe in. Yeah, that's good. So the elders do have some... Uh, official functions. Uh, we have bylaws that define that, but it's actually surprising kind of what the, the bylaws have some beautiful language. Ron is our resident attorney on the elder team. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I thought it'd be fitting because he helped work on these bylaws to uh, clean them up and make them really more about our mission. So talk about that. Well, if you think uh, bylaws for corporations, they're really just, they're rules for how the company's supposed to be run. Our bylaws go a little further and we talk about who we are and what our responsibilities are in each different group. And if you think about, since you've been hearing about, hearing from all the other um, leadership teams, if we're on the path of Christ, you got the board of directors as one guardrail, which is the financial business piece of it. And then the elders are the other guardrail, which is the spiritual side and then the church staff and you, the congregation, just run down that path with those guardrails on either side. 
So what are, how do we determine our guardrails? Well, it says in our um, bylaws, they are, they're spiritual leaders of the church. They're responsible for discerning biblical truth from secular philosophy and thought and for guarding the spiritual purity of the church. They evaluate the direction of the church to ensure its spiritual integrity and its effectiveness in making disciples of Christ. So what that means is, if you want to know if there's going to be a free t-shirt at some function in the future, we may not know that. That's, that's you know, unless we've asked ourselves. But what we do spend our time with, like back in June, we spent two hours talking about righteousness and justice with all the uh, civil strife that was going on. That was something we felt we needed to focus our time and attention on. And a lot of decisions, or I I should say spiritual direction came out of those discussions. Yeah, yeah. There's another section that says the elders are responsible for identifying and monitoring the church's mission and purpose, charting the long-term strategy of the church, monitoring the strength of the church's programs, and providing spiritual leadership for the people within the church, the purpose of which is to facilitate and encourage the making disciples of Christ. That's a high calling. They do have some functions. There are some decisions that elders have to make. I am primarily accountable to this group. So this is the group that evaluates me. Uh, this is the group that, um, that decides my salary, that decides my fitness for ministry, that keeps me in check. Uh, together with the board of directors, we work on a range for the budget to figure out our resources. The board of directors nominates potential new members for the directors, and this team uh, selects them. And one of the biggest things is recruit and, uh, and discern and, uh, and select those future elders. Because one of the things we take seriously is to know that one day we won't be in the room. Mm-hmm. So it's part of kind of all our job to replace ourselves. And so we want to continually to build in and disciple other leaders so that they will one day take, take our place. One of the things that we've done in the recent a uh, few months to help us better lead is we, we decided we've got so many gifted staff and we need to empower them. Uh, and we've called that an executive staff team. Rick, you want to talk about, about that? Yeah, we we uh, invited the worship leadership team, the executive leadership team into our meetings. And really the reason we did that is for unity. I mean, we wanted to be united in our mission and in our vision. And those were voices that we needed Uh, to hear so that we could all be together on the same page. But really the simple answer, Carter, was we value their counsel. Mm. I mean, we need to hear from them because Mm. they have things, they have unique experiences and perspectives by being sort of boots on the ground that that we don't have. And uh, we want to hear from them because they have wisdom that we need. And so that was the easiest decision we've probably made. Yeah, yeah. So I want to just bring them up right now. Ben Kirkendall, Chris Connor, Jake Davis, Glenn Denton, Melissa Sanderson. Ben Kathy is, is out of town today, but he is also part of that team. And uh, everyone that you've read a, heard a letter from in the past uh, five weeks uh, are part of our executive leadership team. And this group meets with our elder team for about an hour once a month we bring them into our meetings because we just want their wisdom and i just want you to know who they are and uh, you can give them a hand <clears throat> and uh and, and it's it's a good group it's a good group uh, rick is going to tell us a little bit about uh how much your generosity means to us as uh, and to let you know how you can be a part of resourcing the church for kingdom work and then pray for us 
Yeah, I, I hope we've been able to convey to you, you know, what is sort of our heart, our, our dreams and desires for this church. Uh, and that is that we would be united in love and service. Um, but there's one thing that's sort of central to all of that. And that's that we would all, all of us have a, a generous heart. Um, when I speak of generosity, most people tend to think and equate it with money. But scripture tells you uh, that if you're a follower of Christ, you're to be generous in all things. That means that we're generous in giving, yes, but we're also generous in serving with our time. We're generous in our patience with others. We're generous in our forgiveness of others. We're generous in our kindness and our love. We're generous in our faithfulness. It tells us that generosity really is the way of life for a Christian. And lately I've been reminded of the generosity of this church in this crazy season where we didn't meet in person for a long period of time. And we're still limited, as you can tell in our gathering today. You all remain faithful in your giving. And so I just want to say to everyone in the room and those of you online uh, that I praise God for your faithfulness. Uh, we are thankful for your generosity. We appreciate you. Um, someone once said that giving is not God's way of raising money. It's God's way of raising people into the likeness of his son. So giving is an act of worship. And so I just, I just want you to know that when you give and you give generously, that you are being conformed into the image of God and his son, Jesus. Um, so there are many ways you can give here at Mountaintop. They may be on the screen behind me, but you know you can give via text. Uh, you can give online or you can be like me in old fashioned and you can put a gift in that little box as you walk out the door today. But just know that whatever gift you give, it is being used to further ministries here at Mountaintop, in our community and really throughout the world. And, um, and I just thank you for that and uh, just pray that you'll join me now as we give thanks to God. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are blessed to be in your family. We're blessed to be here today in your house. Um, we have received so many gifts from you. You are the embodiment of generosity. And there is no greater example of your generosity than the cross. It was on the cross where we, were, we got a gift that we didn't earn we couldn't, we didn't deserve it, but you gave it freely out of your grace, your abundant grace. Um, it is said that there's no greater love than that of one who dies for another. Uh, and that death gave us a victory, uh, and it's called salvation through faith in Jesus. Um, Paul tells us that your love was so great for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it is that death and the, and the gift that we have through that sacrifice that spurs us uh, to make disciples. And so, Lord, I just pray today that you will bless the gifts that we have uh, brought to you, that those gifts will honor you, and those gifts will be used for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear Mountaintop family, I love you. I mean that from the very bottom of my heart. 
In a very short amount of time, this place became home for Emily, the boys, and me. We love Birmingham. We love this incredible church. And we love you, our friends, and now our family. In May of 2017, God began to tug at my heart. I was sensing that God had something different in store for my ministry. After spending my entire ministry in Georgia and in the United Methodist Church, I felt God was beginning to call me to something beyond what I had always known. On March 19th, 2019, I wrote this in my prayer journal the day after I sent in my application to Mountaintop. I applied to Mountaintop Community Church. I think it feels like the perfect fit. If I started a church, it would look a lot like Mountaintop. I can't believe I'm saying that I might be more at home in Birmingham than in Georgia. That sounds crazy. Lord, I sense a strong pull of your spirit there, so much so that part of me wants to go after it hard. But God, the most important thing would be that you'd open the door. They're sifting through a million resumes. If you want me there, you'll have to help. I believe God was in this from the beginning. This is home, and we're going to discover together how God is calling us to make disciples and be for Birmingham. God wants to do something in us, to us, and through us for the sake of the world in this magic city. In this letter, I really just want to ask you some questions. So here goes. When you are in your final years and you befriend a young nurse who helps care for you and she asks about the church that you're no longer able to attend, what kind of church do you want to be able to tell her about? When people see four Behem on on your shirt or car and they think of Mountaintop, what do you hope they think? When the poor, disenfranchised, and marginalized in our city think of our church, what do you want them to think? Will they think the same thing that the outcast in Judea thought of Jesus? When you have a disagreement with your neighbor over something and they know you attend Mountaintop, what do you want your actions to tell them about our church? What would your coworkers say about our church because they know you? When someone in our church family disappoints you, what do you want your response to say about the spiritual maturity of our church? If you are African American, Hispanic, Asian, or any other minority, will you be patient with me as I build into minority leaders to be a part of our elder team, board of directors, and staff? Would you trust me to cast a vision and build a team that looks like the streets of heaven? And will you lovingly help me see what I can't see to lead our church better? If you are white, will you help me ensure that our predominantly white church mirrors the image-bearing, beautiful diversity of our city? Will you trust that I want to lead us to gospel-centered racial reconciliation and not partisan political platforms. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for our staff? And will you pray for my family?
What do you want your bank statement to say about the priority of God's church in your life? When people on Facebook read what you post on Thursday and see that you checked in at Mountaintop on Sunday, what will they think about our church? If someone knew how much you read your Bible compared to how much you read social media, what would they say about your faith in God's word? And these last few questions are really important. Are you willing to leverage the gifts of your generation to reach a new generation? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone and invite an unchurched friend to church? When your unchurched friend finally accepts your invitation, what do you hope they will experience once they're here? When new children, new students, and new parents experience our ministry, what do you want them to feel? Do you want them to feel like we have plenty of passionate volunteers and a top-notch facility and that their kid is safe? Or do you want them to feel like it's a little understaffed, the facilities are a little tired, and the atmosphere is a little unsecure? Are you willing to use your gifts to serve in all our ministries so that you can use your gifts to be a part of God's mission? Or is an hour on Sundays just asking too much of you? How much is the faith and the eternity of unchurched adults and non-believing teenagers and children worth to you? Is the answer everything and if it's not, why not? Are you willing to change any and all methods so that we can communicate an unchanging message to a generation that doesn't know Jesus? I can't answer those questions for our church. The kind of church we become won't be determined by me, our elders, our board of directors, our staff, or anyone who read a letter in the last five weeks. The only people that answer those questions is you. It's my job and calling to preach the truth of the gospel, to try my best to inspire you and to lead with integrity and courage. Our staff seeks to do everything we do with excellence. But we can't be the church in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, on your little league teams, in your gyms, or in your circle of friends. Only you can. And each of us and all of us define what Birmingham thinks about Mountaintop. And you see, what people think about our church matters because their opinion about our church isn't an opinion about an organization, a church name, or a building. A church is people, and what people think about our church is really what they think about you and me. What they are thinking is really their answer to whether we are who we say we are. You see, they are asking questions too, and here are their questions. Are we just people who go to church, or are we disciples of Jesus Christ? Is there something different about us? You see, it's not about our church. It's about the church being the body of Christ. And what others think about his church, our church, in this city informs what they think about God. And that really, really, really matters. They will long forget my name and your name and even the name Mountaintop. But don't you want others to see and experience the name 
that is above every name in us. It won't be easy, but I want you to know that I'm in. And to Emily, Morgan, Tanner, and Walker, and Brooks, they're in too. So in that spirit, I leave you with one more question, but not from me. From the Apostle Paul in his letter to a church family in Rome, in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, and who could be against us? God is for us. God is for you. I'm for you. Let's be for Birmingham and shake the gates of hell right off every heart in this city. In the name that is above every name, Jesus. Carter. We're going to close with a song that has this kind of haunting line at the end of it. It says, then the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not faint. That's what happened. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended on about 120 believers, something was born and birthed because the resurrection of Jesus had declared that death no longer reigned and death no longer won. And God empowered a people to proclaim that message who might have been walking around living and breathing but are dead on the inside. And I believe that Birmingham has a lot of dead people walking who don't know that there is a hope, who in the middle of a pandemic are wondering if there is hope, who are in the middle of racial and civil unrest, who are wondering if there is a hope that is greater than this world can answer, who in, in a world of political partisan bickering, wondering if there is a hope different than what their government can answer. And we believe that there is a hope, there is a gospel truth that shall not fade, but they won't know it if we don't live it. And we don't share it and we don't proclaim it. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's more out here that are in the building. So will we be a people? That church of, that church of Christ that has a flame lit in it that isn't just about gathering in this room and raising our hands or in your living room raising your hands, but wherever you are outside the walls of your home or your church, Will we be that? Let's be that church. Let's sing, let's worship now, but let this just be a start of how we